Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. Amen. So again, just very quickly, your Old Testament, right? You've got the Pentateuch, the first five books, which in one sense is giving a lot of history, but also is known as just the law of Moses. And then you go into Joshua, where they're taking over the land and judges, right? And all these is nice. These are just chronological. I mean, some of the Gospels aren't always chronological. I think especially a Gospel of John and portraying Jesus' life. But we just go right through, right? So Judges, time of Judges, and then you go into into the book of Samuel, and there you have that transition over to um, to the kings, and you've got three kings over all of Israel, each 40 years, ruled for um, 120 total. Each one ruled for about 40 years. So you got Saul, and then you got David, and then you got Solomon. And um, we were just talking with our group Friday night about this, but then Solomon, what? Solomon um, is not faithful, and so the whole the whole kingdom splits. He's, you, there's that one passage where he's going to his old advisors, young advisors, and, and, you know, I need to keep moving here. And so you go into 2 Samuel and um, the reign of David, and then you get into the kings, and you get into Solomon's reign. And then 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings would also include all the other the, um, kings after that, both from the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and then first and second chronicles repeat that just for the kings of Judah, just for the kings of, of the south, and then they're taken into captivity, those last chapters. Um, is it second chronicles? I'm going to guess 36, is that right? Or first kings 30, is it 36? The, uh, and then the last chapter of second kings, they're going into um, captivity, Right, uh, first 722 BC. First, you have the northern kingdom going in, Assyria coming and taking them. And by that, by the time they come back in about 605, they would come back in in 700 BC as well. But the Assyrians would and and would um, uh, fight against the southern kingdom, but would not take them captive. But then they come back in about 605. Um, B.C. after the Babylonians have taken over the Assyrians, Nebuchadnezzar comes back and starts taking captives. About 605, and this is that prophesied 70 years, 70 years of captivity for the um, 490 years that they hadn't followed that, um, uh, the Sabbath year. And, and so they're taken captive, and he'll come back a couple more times. And then um, because they revolt, Egypt would say, if you revolt, we'll come help you, and then they never did. So about the third time they do this, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not crossing this desert again. He comes, he destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem, and, um, and so you have different, another three times captives are taken to Babylon. But then you have that restoration, right? And, so you have, and then, of course, you have the whole prophecy. So, so then you have the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're kind of talking about this, this second part where you have people going back to Jerusalem, going back to rebuild the temple, going back to rebuild the wall, going back to just um, encourage people in their faith and in their walk. And so that's what we're in the midst of right now. And so if you look at that first book, most likely all both Ezra and Nehemiah were written by Ezra. Um, but you have Ezra, between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, 
right, you have a gap. You have actually, it's a 58-year gap between, these, between that chapter. So you end Ezra 6, chapter 22, and 58 years transpire, and then you go to Ezra 7, verse 1. And, and so you have this 58-year gap, and this is the only part that isn't chronological. Esther, Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther is actually between chapters 6 and 7 of Ezra. And, and so that's where the book of Ezra would, would um, the time would be, would be as, as, as it's still talking about the, the scene in captivity there. And so you have Ezra, first time Ezra's mentioned is 7 verse 1. And so as we think about the context of the passage we want, we really don't have to worry too much about 1 through 6, although there's some common themes there of restoration, but you're really talking about Ezra 7, 1. Now, after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra. And then there's a bunch of names here. And I would go ahead and read those through really fast so that you think I can pronounce them, but I can't. All right? But what is the most important name in that? As you look through verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, what is the point of those, all those names? What's another name? And you can answer me. This is going to be kind of more less formal, at least in the beginning here. What's the important name there? Right, right. It's trying to show that he is from the priestly line. All those names are trying to get back to, um, you could say even to Eliezer as well, but the son of Aaron, the chief priest. And so he's in that line. And then it says in, in verse 6 there, it says, This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, where, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord, his God, was upon him. And so you have, um, and this is what, you know, anybody that's really taught hermeneutics has always gone to Ezra 7.10, as we'll see, because it's just such an easy verse to outline, all right? You just have a, have a title for your sermon, in a sense, and you have just these three points, and it's really, really easy to outline. And so this is what I would use. I'd use this in, in when I was teaching at the Three South Seminary, even with the pastors that you saw there is just, okay, how do, we, how do we think through? This is a simple way to think through a context, to outline a message. And, um, and so you, you'd have these different things that you're trying to, to, to figure out here and trying to, to um, in, encourage as you, as you go to your sermon outline and what's the main idea of your sermon. And so as we read through that 7 through 10, some of, these, some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests of the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For in the first of the first, of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And, and so you have this verse that talks about Ezra, and what is the, what's a common sentence there, a common phrase in verse 6 and verse 9? What do you see there? What's that common phrase that you see? 
right, according to the good hand of the Lord, right? That's right. Um, and, and you see that again later on in the chapter as well. And, and so that's the key here. And so as, as we think about this, and then there's a key word in verse 10, and that key word is for. That key word is for, you could say because, right? So why was the good hand of the Lord upon him? And I, I emphasize that word for because in the Chinese version, that word for has been left out. Okay, soyi should be there, and it's not there. And so it's, that was one example of how we compare Bible versions as we study the Bible. And, and so, but that word for is so important there in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart, why is the good hand of the Lord upon him? And, and let me ask you a question before I ask you that. How many of you want the good hand, or let me put it this way, how many of you don't want the good hand of the Lord upon you? Okay, do I have anybody that even would be joking? Nobody's even joking today, all right? Right? No, none of us. None of us would say, I don't want God's blessing. We all want God's blessing on our lives. And so we look here and we see, why was the good hand of the Lord upon Ezra? And it tells us that in verse 10, because, for, the good hand of the Lord was upon Ezra. God was blessing Ezra because of the way he studied the scriptures. And that's why he was getting blessing. Now, as I would do this with my, with my students to make a point here, I would say, so do we need to study the scriptures? Is the Bible telling us here that we need to study the scriptures exactly like Ezra studied the scriptures? And they would all say yes. <laughs> and so then I'd say to them, well, okay, so Ezra also went to Jerusalem, it says here, so we should we all be going to Jerusalem, all right? And this is that whole, right, prescriptive, descriptive part of scripture where we look and there's certain things that are prescribed to us, right? A doctor, you go to the doctor, you, he fills out this prescription, you know, take, take these pills, take two in the morning, three at night, and you should follow that exactly, all right? I know some of us don't, but you should follow that exactly. And that's a prescription, and scripture's like that, right? Much of scripture is like that. The epistles, most of the epistles would be that way. The law is that way. But then you have these narrative passages like the book of Acts, like um, uh, the book of Ezra, these historical books where it's just telling us what happened. And we don't necessarily obey that, right? We don't, um, you know, the fact that people had multiple wives in the Old Testament and the Bible isn't just, it's just telling us what happened. But, but we look at the, de the prescriptive passages and we compare them. We say, no, okay, that wasn't right. Even though it's just saying this is what people, people did. And so, so this is a descriptive passage. And so, no, we don't have to go to, go to Jerusalem, all move to Jerusalem because Ezra did, right? And, and honestly, we don't need to study the word of God in the exact way that Ezra does. But the point would be, and as I go through this, then it would be like, can we bring in some New Testament passages? What's another verse in scripture that tells us 
that somebody's blessed in the way that they view scriptures. It first tell anybody? I thought I heard it. Um, but write Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man that does not do these things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so we have, we have other Old Testament passages. We have other New Testament passages that show us this is exactly the way we should be studying God's word. And so I, I come up with this, this, this title or this sentence to describe the message and, and for them, and I like to have a so that in there so that everybody knows. So at the beginning of the message, people should know where you're going. And that sentence for today is today we are going to look at three steps for knowing God's word so that we may receive God's blessing in our everyday lives. And that's kind of the, the idea. Why are we studying this passage? Okay, It's so that we may receive God's blessing in our everyday lives. And that's why we're looking at, at this this morning. And, and so you first see there in verse 10 that for Ezra, what did he, did, did, did he do? He, the first thing he did was he set his heart. He committed to this. This is what I'm doing. And this word is used in other, other passages, 2 Chronicles 12, 14. And, and he, Rehoboam, the son of, of Solomon, did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And then 2 Chronicles 27, 6, so Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways Another way to translate that same Hebrew word, before the Lord his God. Psalm 103, 19 uses this in, in this in in speaking of the Lord. The Lord has what? Established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So, so Ezra had established a system in his life. He had, he had um, ordered his ways. He had set his heart to do something. And that's what we need to do. That's the first thing, is we need to set our hearts. Was, was Rehoboam, was his problem was that he had set his heart to do evil? No. No, he, he just hadn't set his heart to do anything. And guess where it's automatically going to go to? It's going to go to doing evil. And so we need to make a commitment. We need to establish. We need to set our hearts that, that this is what we're going to do. This is the most important thing in our lives, okay? And, and you know, it could be like kind of the, the selfish thing, the, the Christian hedonism that John Piper talks about, but, but because this brings blessing on our lives. This brings blessings on our lives. More importantly, it glorifies God. But, but some people are always struggling. They're just always struggling with different things. And I've heard... I've heard, you know, I heard this one pastor, he's talking about counseling, and he was saying how I, I go to, um, I've never had, you know, a, counsel, a, guy, uh, a guy or girl, whatever, come into my office and have a bunch of different problems, and when I ask them how their Bible study is going, how their daily Bible study is going, they, they just say, oh, it's going great. I'm faithful in that. I do that all the time, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there, but I just have all these problems. You know, he just said he's never seen that. And I'm not saying sometimes things happen in life, 
And sometimes difficult things happen in life. Psalm 42 and 43 kind of address that to faithful, faithful people. But again, this is how we see God's blessing. So first step. So we do steps here, right? You can't jump. You can't jump. At least when you're 50 or older, you can't jump and do that anymore. So so the first step, we use this word step, this plural noun proposition as we, as we call it. This, this step, the first step is set your heart to study God's word. That's your first step. That's the first point is set your heart to study God's word. And that's what Ezra had done, right? He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. He loved the word of God. Tells us in Ezra 7.11, he was a priest as well. And so we need to be like the Bereans in the, in the New Testament. Acts 17.11 says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. If I was Paul, Apostle Paul, I'd be offended at that, right? I'd be like, no, you don't need to examine the scriptures. I just told you that. I'm an apostle, right? But no. Obviously, Paul is excited about this. As Luke records this, he's excited that these were more noble. Why? Because they're checking out the scriptures to see if what they're being taught is correct. Right? Jeff won't mind at all. Now you don't have to be you don't have to be idiots about it and like nitpick everything, right? But he won't mind at all if you go home. And throughout the week, you're checking the Bible carefully. You're going over his sermon. You're making sure that what he's teaching is biblical, right? He'd want that for every one of you. And so, so that's what the Bereans were doing. They were more noble. Uh, and, and then a couple other verses there. I'm just going to give you some references if you want to write them down. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. I use that verse all the time for the word of God, right? He's living and active. And then 2 Timothy 2, 15, to pastors, to Sunday school teachers, to anybody ministering the word, to fathers, I would say that this applies to, right? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as workmen who do not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of God. All right? Second step. Second step, so we don't skip that first step. All right? And this is typically the step that people skip. All right? So they take the first step, and then they jump to the third step. But the second step, set your heart to practice God's word. Set your heart to practice God's word. Word And there's, there's several things here, and I'm not going to be able to probably repeat each of these points, um, but we see this in Ezra's life, and it's really neat. So the first one underneath that, that's your second point, and then number, number A underneath that is we trust God for safety in the eyes of a watching world. We trust God for safety in the eyes of a watching world, and that's in chapter 8. 21 through 23. And I love this verse because sometimes I think we, we look at the, these biblical saints, we look at the Old Testament and we're thinking, but yeah, it was easy for them. You know, they just snapped their fingers and God would help them. They didn't really need to really trust God. But listen to what Ezra says here. Then I proclaimed a fast. So he's leading this group I was going to look that up this morning, but I think it's about the first group back was about 50,000 and then the second group I think there may be about 10,000 people here, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, that are going back. He's leading 10,000 people back. He's got all this gold, Artaxerxes, and that's what you see in the rest of chapter 7 there, has given them all they need, all the golden things from the temple that were taken, 
okay, they're just ripe for somebody to, to rob them. All right, and so he says there, then I proclaimed a fast, they're, they're out, they've come to a river there, at the river of Ahaya, Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to speak from him a safe journey for us, to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions. Then verse 22 of chapter eight, for I was ashamed to request from the king's from the king, troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and saw our our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty, all right? And the reason I love this is you can just see Ezra sitting there, oh, why didn't I just ask for those troops, right? Why didn't I just ask for them? Because this is, this is kind of scary. We've got this probably at least a 30-day journey. Um, uh, usually they go along the river Euphrates all the way back. There's robbers. There's different things. But then he just fasts, and he says, no, I'm not going to ask that because I trust the Lord, right? I trust the Lord to protect us. So we trust God for safety in the eyes of a watching world. Secondly, we grieve over sin in the eyes of watching believers. We grieve over sin in the eyes of watching believers. He he gets back to Jerusalem. He gets back safely, right? We already read that because the good hand of the Lord was upon him. And um, he gets there, and, and the people have been marrying with other nations around them. And as soon as you did that, we see that in Solomon's life, right? You bring in idol worship. You bring in other things. And so um, verse 2 there of chapter 9, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives. It says, now, when these things had been cleaned, the princes approached me saying, so these leaders that are there in Jerusalem are approaching him and saying, hey, by the way, we got to tell you about an issue. For they have taken some, so again, Ezra's coming back about, a hundred years after the initial people came back. And so for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has been, has intermingled with the peoples of the lands, indeed the hands of the princesses and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. Our leaders are doing this. And when I heard about this matter, I tore my garments and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. And, and I just love this, right? So he just hears this sin. It wasn't his sin. He's just hearing this. And this is his reaction. And then look what happened. Verse four, then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me and sat appalled unto the evening offering. And so what's happening here? Ezra hears about this Again, the princesses are approaching him. They know there's an issue here. There's other faithful people that know there's an issue here, but what did they need? They needed one person to stand up and take this seriously. You know, and young people here today, that's what a lot of your friends need at school. That's what a lot of your friends need in your neighborhood, and sometimes at church as well, right? for us, and it doesn't bypass us at all. People need, if any day people need people to stand up and speak truth, it is today. And the faithful will gather around you. And 
this is a this is a important issue. I can say I think my brother does this well and does this um, better than me. I can be one that right wants to please people. I can be one that is um, when God is when people are big and God is small, as Welch's book said. But we need to stand up for the Word of God. People desperately need that. We can complain about all that's going on, but they need to see, not somebody complaining, they need to see somebody standing up for truth and they will gather around. But the evening offering, I rose from my humiliation even with my garments and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees before the Lord. All right? So we grieve over sin in the eyes of watching believers. Thirdly, or point C, we lead people to repent. No matter the consequences, and this has some subpoints too. So, um, but just listen with me. So we need people. We lead people to repent, no matter the consequences. Verse uh, Ezra ten, verse one. Now, when Ezra was praying and making confession, you know what? More important, Ezra ten, verse forty-four. All these had married foreign wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. So this is a mess. Right? They've married these foreign wives. They've got children. What is Ezra saying here now? You know, and, and sometimes we're like, well, I don't know. This is just so complicated. And there are issues that are really complicated in life. But Ezra's like, no, I know. You've got children now. This complicates things. But you know what? We need to do what's right before God. We need to do what's right before God here. And so we, we lead people to repent First of all, okay, this is point C. We need people to repent, first of all, no matter the consequences, and that's chapter 10, 1 and 44, verses 1 and 44. Starting with those in authority, we see that in chapter 10, verses 5 and 14. We lead people to repent, no matter the consequences, starting with those in authority. I'm not even going to read those verses, but it's very clear. He's talking to the, he's leading the princesses and he's leading the leaders Number three, not minimizing sin, right? And obviously, we've seen that already. He's not minimizing sin at all. He's not trying, well, you know what? That's okay. Everybody sins. No. Okay, he's not minimizing sin at all. And then even amid opposition, and we see that in verses 10, 15, and 17, um, it says that only Jonathan and Jehaziah opposed him. And some of the Levites supported them. There was opposition here. This wasn't easy. Why? You're, you're telling me I've got a, this wife I've had, I've got to leave. She's got to leave. And then we've got kids. What are we doing with the kids? This is ridiculous. Okay? All this, he's got opposition. But he does what's right. He does what God, he knows God wants him to do. It was because of all this that they were in captivity in the first place. And so Ezra, even amid opposition, he leads people to repent. All right, and then under um, point two, my main point two, now we go to the fourth thing. All right, we had, um, we have, we grieve over sin in the eyes of watching believers for the second one. We lead people to repent, and then fourthly, we always remind people of the sacrifice needed for sin of Christ, the gospel, as we deal with sin. We don't see this so 
much, but Ezra 9, 5, but as the, as the evening offering arose from my humiliation, uh, as the evening, but at the evening offering, I arose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to do the Lord, to the Lord my God. So you have this evening offering. You have this reminder every day for the Israelites that there's a sacrifice. And more importantly, there's a coming sacrifice. For my biblical counseling class, I just wrote up a paper of John Bunyan. And just listen to what he says. This is what we need to remind people of. He struggled. It's unbelievable the struggle that he had. If you want to read, read Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. He had this life before where he was a wicked kid. All right? And he says this, after years of struggling, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. The righteousness, thy righteousness is in heaven. And methought withal, I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say, as my righteousness, so that wherever I was or whatever I was, a, whatever I was doing, a doing, God could not say of me, he wants my righteousness, for that was just before him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of, of heart that made my, made my righteous better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? Okay, the righteousness of Christ. We remind people of the gospel. We remind people of forgiveness, and that's what he was doing. So Ezra had set his heart to study God's word. He had set his heart to apply God's word, right? So he wasn't hypocritical. I love this passage, Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, I would think the next sentence would be, don't listen to. No. All that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Let that never be said of us. Let our kids never say that of us. Right? We, 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 we're good at telling people what to do. The Pharisees, they knew the law. But Christ is saying, don't, listen to what they say. Yeah, they're teaching well, but don't, don't do what they do. Don't look at their lives. Ezra, he saw, set his heart to study God's word. He set his heart to secondly to do it. And then thirdly and finally, um, Ezra, how Ezra had set his heart to share God's word with others. And we just see this, if you look there, chapter 8, just a few verses there, um, three points underneath that. Ezra teaches the people, and we see that in Ezra, or in Nehemiah, sorry, Nehemiah now, we're Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 2, and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He's teaching, right? You stand up for truth. You know the word of God. You apply it to your life. You're going to be given an opportunity to share it with others. And that's that third thing. It's not necessarily teaching. None of us, all of us can teach or have opportunity to teach. But you know what? We all can share God's word. We all can share God's word with other people people. 
And so Ezra teaches the people, secondly, be, this is just, this is the verse that we use for expository preaching, right? In the Old Testament, Ezra explains or exposits the meaning of the word of God, secondly. So third step, set your heart to share God's word. Ezra teaches the people. Secondly, Ezra explains or exposits the meaning of the word of God. Nehemiah 8.8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. That's all they're doing. They're just sitting there explaining God's word, right? And that's what we need to do. We need to sit there and we need to explain God's word. And then lastly, um, under the third step there, set your heart to share God's word as there's training the leaders. And, and that's why we, we train in churches. That's why we have men's studies. That's why we have men's breakfasts or whatever you may have here, but what? Because what? We want to train the leaders. In that sense, leaders of families. But we want to train. And so Ezra trains the leaders on that, um, Ezra 8.13. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of God. And then a couple of verses, um, you know what, just one. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 would be one you could write down as a cross-reference for that. All right. So just think with me. Where do you need to improve? You know, do you need to just be on that first one? You know, study the Word of God. You need to just start incorporating that into your daily activity, listening to the Word of God, studying the Word of God. All right. Well, maybe you do that okay, but you know what? You read it, you read a chapter, that's done, and you really don't think about it the rest of the day. And so maybe you need to improve on that. You need to really think about, um, okay, I need to apply this. I, I, that was a good verse in that chapter that I read. I need to write that verse down and maybe put it in me or put it on my phone or whatever it is. But you need to, to apply that to your life. Think through that. Apply that verse to your life. Um, or maybe you're in the third step. You're doing those things pretty well, but you know what? Uh, you're just kind of scared to share. You don't share with other people. You don't take those opportunities to let other people know what you're studying. Times of fellowship here to just say, hey, I, I really, this week, I just really studied a neat passage, a neat verse. You know, and so you're, you're, you're taking that time to share. And so think about where you want to be because someone says how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the, in the paths of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatsoever, or what the King James used to say, whatsoever. And whatever he does, he prospers. You want to prosper in whatever you do? Okay, love the word of God. Be like Ezra. All right, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Old Testament given to us as examples to us. May we take this example of Ezra this morning, Lord, and just apply it to our lives. We're just thankful for this time together and uh, do just so thankful for what we can witness now, Lord, as the new birth, evidence of the new birth, which only you can do through a miraculous event in our hearts, Lord. And so we just praise you for that and that we can celebrate with um, these two 
young people that are getting baptized. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message. For more information or more messages like this, visit us at cascadesbiblechurch.com or subscribe via your favorite podcast app.